message today is how to live in a world of storm and strife. This passage begins by telling us not to worry. Be anxious for nothing. It's Matthew 6.25, where in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the same thing. Don't worry. It's a sin to worry. Now, this common problem that most all of us have introduces us to other problems. Because it just doesn't end with worry. Suddenly, there are pressures in life that we had never encountered before because worry brings them on. Uncertainties suddenly grip us. We don't know what the future is going to hold. Our minds suddenly become confused. Depression sets in, which is the most common emotional problem in the United States today, depression. The result, we function far below our level of effectiveness in life. That's the sad result. Ninety percent of our populace today functions below their level of effectiveness because of storm and strife in their life. Now, you might be asking, well, what does Paul know about this? Why would we take time to listen to this man? Well, let's not forget that he wrote this from a prison. Let's not forget that the mighty fist of Rome was clenched and was fighting the Christian church, and it wanted to destroy the likes of the Apostle Paul. Every day was an uncertainty for the man who wrote these words. The execution block was never very far away from Paul. He knew how to be abased, and he knew how to abound. Look at verse number 12 of this same chapter. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So if you want the truth of the matter, Paul was an expert on how to live in a world of storm and strife, even though his world was almost 2,000 years ago. His attitude of life was powerful, and the result gratifying to God and uplifting to others. The Christian has an antidote to anxiety and care or storm and strife, and they're both listed here in these four verses. Number one is confident prayer, and number two is converted thinking. Here is how to survive in a world of storm and strife confident prayer, and converted thinking. Let us look first of all at confident prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. A man by the name of Lyle Rader said, if you can't pray a door open, don't pry it open. 
Most of us spend our time trying to pry doors open instead of praying doors open. The man who fails to pray cheats himself, not God. The man or woman or young person who fails to pray is the loser, not God. We are adjured over and over to pray. Now look at this with me. Follow it carefully. How can you be anxious for nothing in the 20th century? Very simply, be prayerful about everything. There it is. How to be anxious about nothing? Be prayerful about everything. Let me translate this for you. It says, In verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. The words that I want to translate are the words in everything. Here is the translation. In everything. Did you get it? In everything. The small things and the large things, and all things in between, we are to pray about in everything by prayer. Now, does it work today? Let me tell you about a modern-day prisoner. I receive in the mail regularly communication from the Open Doors News Service, which monitors news coming out of the Soviet Union, particularly. This past week, I received their communique about a modern-day prisoner, a musician in Russia by the name of Valery Baranov. He was released from a Russian prison last September 4th, following a -a two-and-a-half-year sentence in a prison called Blood-Soaked 27. Now, how would you like to be sentenced for any period of time to blood-soaked 27? That's where Valery Baranov spent two and a half years of his life, and I quote, my only crime was to be a Christian, end of quote. Now, Baranov reported to Open Doors News Service that while he was there, he baptized more than 40 of his fellow prisoners while in detention. Sometimes the devil overplays his hand, you know that? I quote Valerie, I felt that the power of the Holy Spirit was upon me and God healed many criminal people through me. He said that he was usually in the punishment cell where former influential officials were kept. Fellow prisoners would ask him to tell them about Jesus and to sing songs about love. While in KGB detention in Leningrad, there were KGB officers who accepted Christ and were baptized by Valerie. He said, and I quote, As usual, I preach everywhere to everybody, and in the KGB, many people believed in Jesus and gave their hearts to him. It is not possible for us, he said, 
But everything is possible for God by prayer. Now, there it is. Modern day prisoners. In blood soaked 27, not Rome, blood soaked 27, Russia, saying, it's impossible for me, but nothing is impossible for God through prayer. And then he said, and I, I love this one, I baptized two men from the KGB while I was in prison. Now, that's dangerous. But God is working in such marvelous ways all across the world. Our praying is an expression of our living. And I want that to sink in this morning. Our praying is an expression of our living. Why is it that lives are crumbling, marriages are falling apart, people are committing suicide, there is so much drug addiction? The simple reason is our living is an expression of our praying. When we pray little, we have much problem. When we pray much, our problems don't seem like much. We can be in blood-soaked 27 and be ministering for Jesus Christ and seeing many wonderful things take place. When we make progress in prayer, we inevitably make progress in life. Why is it that nations are rocking and reeling today? It is because they are not praying. Why is America in trouble? Because we have decided prayer isn't necessary in the school. It might embarrass somebody's little Johnny. We are discussing whether or not we should have chaplains in legislative halls. And on and on the nonsense goes. We listen to the Norman Lears and the humanists of our time. And we let the media dictate to us what is normal and what is right while we keep going farther and farther down the tubes. There is one antidote and one antidote alone and that is Prayer that will move the mighty hand of God. We must pray in everything by prayer. That is how to face storm and strife. Now, if we are to do this, we have to begin with discipline. I heard an instructor in Bible college say, you will never have a dynamic in life until you have a discipline of life. I was 18 years old. Who cares about discipline at 18? I weighed 129 pounds, thin as a rail. Why, the world was out in front of me. Didn't have to worry about anything except getting through school. So who thinks a lot about discipline? And when he said that, I, I was shaken. I wrote it down, and I've never forgotten it. 
You'll never have a dynamic of life until you have a discipline of life. The man who said that was J. Robert Ashcroft, the father of the governor of the state of Missouri, John Ashcroft. And I say to you today, the reason we don't have a dynamic of life in many cases is because we don't have a discipline of life, particularly a discipline of prayer. When I was in the sixth grade, I started to play a trumpet. Now, I just thought you could pick that thing up and in a week or so make that horn do anything that it ought to do. I was sadly awakened by the fact that that doesn't happen. You have to strengthen your lip. That was dangerous when I met Mary Ann because my lip was so strong. But I began to discipline myself to play that instrument. I had to practice. It was tough because the ball games were going on and girls were walking by. <laughs> Puppy love, you know, which usually leads to the doghouse. So I learned that if I was going to master that instrument, I would have to discipline myself to practice, and I did, and I became pretty proficient at it. I was somewhat interested in the America Cup coming home because my wife's brother is in San Diego in the sailboat business, and his office is a hundred yards from where the Stars and Stripes is kept, the yacht club. And he's very much into this sailing bit, so I got to following this in the papers, and I noticed something interesting. Dennis Connor and the Stars and Stripes won over the Aussies in four straight uh, matches, and I read in the paper that the Australians took it too lightly. They weren't really ready. That was the statement of one of their sailors. We weren't really ready. Well, Dennis Conner was because he wanted to bring that cup back to America where it belonged. I wasn't political. I was just fact. 60,000 people welcomed them back yesterday in San Diego. But it came because of what? Discipline. Are you disciplined? Six o'clock in the morning prayer meeting. I know for a fact it takes some women one hour to put on their makeup and they fight about thinking of praying one hour. I love you, all of you. But I must say to you, we've got to get our priorities straightened out here. Discipline. When we make progress in prayer, we inevitably make progress in life. You have to appoint times to pray. In our bulletin it says, an appointment with God, 9 and 11. 5 o'clock, an appointment with God. Why is it we have appointments on our calendar to have lunch with this one, to have dinner with this one, to go this place, but where is the appointment with God on the calendar? The discipline of time. Then we have to have a plan. That's why we have adopted the Larry Lee 
concept of praying through the Lord's Prayer. Before most of you got out of bed this morning, I had prayed through the Lord's Prayer. Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteousness, hallowed be thy name. Jehovah Makedesh, my sanctification. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is always there. Jehovah Rophi, my healer. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. Oh, ready for the day when you have a plan of prayer. God wants us to have a plan if we're going to have a life that will count. And then we are to expect results. Paul did. He said right here, in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The result of prayer is peace, mind, heart. How to live in a world of storm and strife to pray and to expect results. Nothing is too small, nothing too great. Pray about everything. If it concerns us, it concerns him. That's what a lot of people don't think about. If it concerns us, it concerns him. Everything concerns God about your life. Remember Jesus said, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without our Heavenly Father knowing it. That says something. That's a tremendous volume to us in that statement. A sparrow falling catches God's attention. There's nothing too small for God to pay attention to. If it concerns you, it concerns him. Talk to him about it. Everything we are anxious about should be prayed about. We are so busy broadcasting our needs to others. Why don't we broadcast them to God? Heaven's line is always open. Pray earnestly about everything. In this early church, the men upon whose shoulders rested the initial responsibility of Christianizing the world came to Jesus with one request in Luke 11. It was not, Lord, teach us to preach, or Lord, teach us to do miracles, or Lord, teach us to be wise, but it was this request, Lord, teach us to pray. That was their request, because they saw him pray. Almost on every page of those Gospels, he's praying. He prayed at funerals, and the dead came to life. He prayed over five loaves and two fish, and a multitude were fed. He prayed, not my will, but thine be done, and a way was made whereby man could come to a holy God because Jesus prayed. And when they wanted to turn him over to the soldiers and to Pilate, where did they find him? In the place of prayer in Gethsemane. He prayed all night, many times, to his father. Noah prayed, and God gave him a blueprint for the ark of deliverance. Moses prayed and the Israelites were delivered. Gideon prayed and a formidable enemy fled before him. Daniel prayed and the mouths of lions were locked shut. Elijah prayed and the fire of God 
consumed the sacrifice and licked up the water around it. David prayed and he defeated Goliath. The disciples prayed and the Holy Ghost fell. Paul prayed and hundreds of churches were born. Do you pray? Now, in this passage, there is something that can help us so much if we catch it. In our community, there are children that I provide clothing, food, and other things for. They, they ask of me, and I usually grant their request. They're my children and my grandchildren. And I learned from the Lord's Prayer that the reason I want to do that is because God wants to do that for me. You see, Jesus said, pray this way, Our Father who art in heaven. So when my boys were growing up and they asked me for clothing or food or whatever, I granted it to them because they're my children. And now the grandchildren, they know how to work and it's because of a love relationship and as I see this thing developing I see how much we miss as people of God because we don't seem to catch that he's our father and he wants us to pray about everything we hold back his blessing because we don't see it in this kind of relationship Prayer is for God's children. It's not for the world out there. It's for God's children. We have a relationship just like my children and my grandchildren to me. We have a relationship with God the Father and we can pray about everything. And then I hear some people say, but I don't know how to pray. I'm new. I'm just a babe in Christ. Well, hey, God can understand baby talk. Travis is two and a half. He sat on my lap the other night and uh, I said, Travis, say Nathan. He said, nay, nay. I said, no, Travis, it's Nathan. That's his brother. Nay, nay. Travis, look at Grandpa. Nathan. Nay, nay. <laughs> then I said, who's that? He said, Grandma. I said, who's this? Grandma. Travis, no, no, look, Grandpa, Pa, Grandpa, said it. Who's that? Grandma. Who's this? Grandma. <laughs> what difference does it make? I know what he means. Do you get the point? When you have this relationship, so what? He'll learn in time. I know he'll get it eventually. Won't be long. He'll be ripping it off. And then I'll wish he was saying Nana again or Nina or something. But God doesn't mind baby talk. He understands it. He understands the heart. And so we are to pray about everything. Now what barriers might we encounter in prayer? Well, one of them is sin. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That means if I 
refuse to deal with the sin of my life, my prayers are short-circuited by my sins. They won't get through. When people pray about a ceiling above them or not rising above the ceiling, what they're saying is that something is short-circuiting my prayers. It could be sin. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to deal with sin in our lives. There's not enough fear about our sin and our sin's consequences today. We play games with God. It does matter to God how we live. Jesus died for our sins and we have to confess our sins so that we will have access to God. For if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Unbelief also keeps my prayers from getting through. It has been said there are no atheists in foxholes. Dodging bullets can drive you to prayer, but that kind of faith does not change the world. Our belief will affect our behavior. That's why he says pray about everything. Why is it that we only think to pray when we're backed in a corner or jumping into a foxhole when somebody's shooting at us and trying to kill us? We're to pray about everything. We're to pray at all times, under all circumstances, and we are to pray in faith, believing. Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. You'll never find any maybes in the Bible. It's always shall. And then we need to pray in Christ's name. I was asked to pray some years ago at the McGeorge School of Law graduation. Rose Bird was the speaker. She sat next to me. I wanted to pray a good prayer. Well, I prayed two prayers, one at the beginning and one at the ending. After hearing her, I prayed harder at the end than I did at the beginning. Well, I prayed as normal, and I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew. Letters. How dare you pray in Jesus' name? Well, according to the book, that's the only prayer God pays any attention to. So I go to Rotary, and I pray... In Jesus' name. And a man came up to me and said, I'm a Jew. Why did you pray in Jesus' name? I said, hey, Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can't Pray a prayer without the name of Jesus and expect it to be heard. Why? Simple. You do not warrant coming in to the king's presence. I do not deserve walking into the presence of Almighty God. I'm a sinner. There's only one that has a right to walk into the presence of God, and that's the righteous Jesus, his son. 
And he became, according to the Bible, our advocate, our lawyer, our go-between. And so I must pray, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I expect in Jesus' name to get an audience with you. And he says, you've got it. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do. Do you pray in Jesus' name? You see, you have an ear that never turns off when you do that. It's almost like God looked down and he says, you talk, I'll listen. When you do it the Bible way. Romans 8 says, we do not even know how we ought to pray, but through our inarticulate groans, the Spirit himself is pleading for us and God who searches our inmost being knows what the Spirit means because he pleads for God's people in God's own way. Hallelujah. Pray always. There will always be one who listens. The promise is alive on every page of the New Testament. You talk. I'll listen. It's the only way I know to live in a world of storm and strife. To have a communication line always open to God. Do you pray? I mean, other than now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the... My... Other than God bless this food. God must really be impressed with that. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by... What? Say it. This must be a church of prayer. We are under attack as citizens of God's kingdom by another's kingdom. The devil wants to destroy Christ's church. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your life. There is one thing God has given you as a weapon, and it's prayer. And you have access to God in prayer. Now I've got to hurry to the last. Converted thinking. Notice at the end of verse 7, your hearts and minds, and notice at the end of verse 8, meditate on these things or think on these things. Converted thinking. Somebody has said, you are what you think. Or someone else has said it this way. You're not what you think you are. You are what you think. And how true it is. You are what you think. Out of the mouth proceeds things from the heart which have been thought of by the mind. Now let me illustrate it this way. I walked into the prayer room this morning and I looked at the prayer requests there that were updated, and I looked with horror at this line. Pray for an 18-month-old girl who was molested by her grandfather. I about 
fell over. I'm a grandfather. How could a grandfather molest an 18-month-old granddaughter? Tell you how. I just almost guarantee it. Been feeding on pornography. He's been watching videos and X-rated movies. He has been feeding his mind, which has transmitted messages to his heart, and it comes out in the sordid actions of his life. And we have it everywhere we look. It all starts up here, right between the ears. Years ago, I learned that, and whenever an evil thought A lustful thought would come to my mind. I began to say, Jesus, I shut the door on that right now. Jesus, I shut the door on that right now. Guess what? When you shut the door, that thing can't get in. And Paul says, if you want to survive in a world of storm and strife, you're going to have to start thinking right. And notice what he tells us. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, think on these things. Ah, but I'd rather look around and criticize. Even sitting here in church, people say, I don't like those lights. they, They tell me, they write me notes. I don't like the lights. I don't like the cameras. Cold in here. Several said that. I know once in a while, I don't know what happened, but I'm not going to quit preaching and run up there and see what's wrong. Is there anything good going on around here? Is there anything pure? Is there anything lovely? Is there anything of good report? We've sent out these questionnaires to try to update some records. You know, I've read all of them that have come back so far, and it's quite a bunch. And I have yet for anybody to write on their pastor. I just want, you know, I'm so excited about all the folks that got got saved last year at our altar. Not one yet. Now, probably will now. And I'm not being critical. I'm not mad. I just, I just thought about that. I'm cold. So like the light. Do we have to have the cameras? It's too loud. My ears are busted. Is there anything pure? Lovely? Good report, just, noble. Now, am I on a closed line or am I preaching something that brings health? I believe I'm preaching something that brings health. We have a tendency to be so obstinate. And what's happening? We're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. There are some good things going on. Think on these things. Meditate 
on these things. When I meditate on the good things of my life, where does the other sit? It has no place. Not that everything is great, but I'm meditating on what is good. Now, it's not mind science either. Almost 2,000 years before anybody heard about mind science or possibility thinking, Paul said, think on these things. And the God of peace will keep your hearts and your minds. He knew something about what you're supposed to do, pray and think. And I want you to know it's not self-serving, as some would say. It's not intended to make us millionaires or to satisfy our own desires. I'm going to think now on a new car. I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to think now on a new house. I'm going to get a new baloney. God maybe, maybe doesn't want you to have a new house or a new car. Maybe you can't handle it yet. Someday, maybe. That's not what's important. It's not self-serving, this matter of thinking properly. I was uh, watching Donahue one day, which I don't get to very often. I think I was away from town and I had some time in the middle of the day and I just picked this up and he had these kids on from Tiburon at the center or from the center for attitudinal healing north of San Francisco. And I listened with interest because these children were suffering from traumatic diseases or from severe accidents. And the philosophy of that place was, instead of being just patients, the children are encouraged to take responsibility for their own healing and the healing of others. It's a community of love and concern that has developed, and this is their slogan, if you can help somebody else, you're not disabled. And those kids were sharp. They were in tune, though their bodies in some cases were terribly damaged. They were very much in charge of life. See, it's not self-serving. It is that which reaches to others. The things which you learned in verse 9 and received and heard and saw in me, those do. And the God of peace will be with you. He says, I'm a model for this. I gave to you. I served you. Now you see and you hear and you do just what I have done. Because it works. Yesterday I went down to Pasadena with our general superintendent to attend the funeral of Dr. David Duplessis. It was a two-hour service. It was great. One man said, David spent time carving out a path for the church. And he went everywhere and anywhere to do that without any organization. And then he said something that I wrote down. Some spend time carving up the church. David spent his time putting it together. Do you improve the church by dividing it up? No. Do you improve it by moving somewhere else? No. You can't solve anything by sitting there with a critical, judgmental spirit by thinking someone owes you something. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, and lovely, and of good report, think on these things, because you are what you think. 
The man was buried yesterday who, instead of carving up the church, spent his years putting it together. And that doesn't mean everything is good in the church. When I was in Nebraska preaching some time ago, the superintendent said, you've got to see this. An applicant for ministerial credentials in Nebraska answered this question, why do you want to be a minister with the Assemblies of God? He put this, I kid you not. The Assemblies of God is a lot like Noah's Ark. There's a lot of stink on board, but it's still the best ship afloat. I said, that guy will make it. He's got it. So what do we do? Spend time carving it up or putting it together? What do we do? Spend time carving up our marriage or putting it together? Carving up our world or putting it together? Paul gives us this way to live in a world of storm and strife. Finally, it's as though if you've missed everything else, he wants you to hear this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, good report, pure, noble, think on these things. There's a lot of stink on board, but hey, <laughs> I smell the roses because I choose to. And God is good. Now, I've got to quit. I wish I had more time. Always do. But there's a little story told by Mark Twain on the subject of honesty that illustrates how important it is to pay close attention to what these verses from a prison say. Mark Twain was walking along a street as a boy and happened to spot a cart of watermelons. He was fond of watermelons, so he sneaked quietly up to the cart and sniffed one. Then he ran into a nearby alley and sank his teeth into the melons. No sooner had he done so than a strange feeling came over him. Without a moment's hesitation, he made a decision. He walked back to the cart, replaced the melon, and took a ripe one. That's <laughs> what he did. The moral of the story is our habits are so hard to change. Our lifestyle is so hard to break. When we're prayerless, oh, it's hard to get into a prayer pattern. When we are negative in our thought life against what the Scripture teaches, how hard it is to change because we sort of feed ourselves on worms. A prayerless life and a mind filled with the wrong things can be so defeating and debilitating. But how to change? Oof. Hear the apostle again from a prison. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Finally, brethren, meditate on these things. That's how you do it. Two simple things. You can't forget it if you try. You cannot forget how to live in a world of storm and strife by concerted praying and converted thinking. Now, the big question is, now that you know, what will you do with it? It means change. You men who are filling your minds with the gutter, you better change. It's going to destroy you. You young people who are pumping things into your mind and into your body, 
that will destroy you. You better get rid of it. Come to Jesus. By prayer and good thinking, your life can be wonderful. Ladies, seek those things which are above, where Christ dwells. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You got the sermon? If you don't, I'll keep preaching. You better say yes. We've got it. <laughs> Do you have it? How many have it? All right. Stand up. Please hold steady now. The most important moment.